we, uh, we welcome the opportunity to come before you today and kind of basically testify to what Ryan's last song was about, which was uh, how great is the love of our Father. Uh, our marriage testimony that we're going to share with you today is uh, it's kind of delicate, it's kind of kind of sensitive, but yet at the same time, I think it's necessary uh, to praise God for what he's done in our lives because uh, I asked for this video to be shown because I don't know of a person who's ever made a conscious decision to get up that day and say, this would be a good day to wreck my family. This would be a good day to destroy everything that I've gotten up to, up to this point. This would be a good day to abandon my children, to abandon my wife in pursuit of what I'm looking for. Nobody ever makes that decision in a moment or in a day, as it was just referenced here. That comes over a period of time, that a decision is made at one point and progresses to a point where you've convinced yourself that life offers something better. Well, I made such a decision, uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Anybody have teenagers here? What ages? 19? 16? That's a good reference point. Let's go with that. <clears throat> I met my wife, Kay. She was 14. I was 15. We dated for two years before we ended up getting married at the age of 16 and 17. Uh, we, were, we had the distinction of having our mothers in tow with us down at the courthouse. We got married at a courthouse. Uh, we weren't old enough to get married. Uh, we dated for about two years, and what was we thought love was actually, in my mind, lust, because I was attracted to her because she was beautiful and still is. Uh, and I had convinced myself that, you know, this is somebody I think I could spend my life with. So our, our relationship kind of developed very slowly. We met at a party. Uh, she was with a young man who, uh, for the first time, and he had gotten drunk at this party and was passed out over in a corner and being the opportunist that I am, I saw a, a good chance to invite her home and uh, give her a ride home, and I did, and she accepted. Shortly thereafter, we started dating, and uh, it, it became a, a very intense relationship very quickly, not physically, but just emotionally in, in, in every way. It wasn't long, though, before the physical part of our relationship developed. And kids, if you've got any kids in here, I don't recommend that, by the way. Uh, that is not God's way. That is the way that we chose. But neither one of us had God's way in our life because neither one of us were believers at the time. There wasn't such a thing as being unequally yoked. We were equally yoked. We were both sinners. Uh, but yet uh, we got involved physically, and it wasn't long before Kay became pregnant. Now, we've told our oldest daughter, who was, the, uh, who was birthed out of that relationship, that she was not a mistake. She was not an accident. We actually planned to get pregnant at that tender age. We thought, well, this is one way we could be together. And uh, then we had to break the news to our parents. Well, that was difficult, uh, difficult for sure. I broke the news to my dad, and I told him, I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. He said, what about? I said, well, can we go in your room? He said, yeah. We went in there. He said, is it your work? I said, no. He said, school? I said, no. He said, oh, I wished it were your work or school. He said, it's your girl, isn't it? And I said, yeah. I said, She's pregnant. And he asked me a question that I didn't quite understand. Matter of fact, I got a little angry about. He said, are you sure it's yours? I later came to realize why he asked that question. My dad had married my mother. 
uh, when my mother was pregnant with the belief that my mother was pregnant by him when in fact she was she was pregnant by someone else so now i understand my dad's question because i think for the longest time my dad felt trapped in that marriage and never felt like that uh, he had a chance to really enter into that marriage with his eyes wide open with his whole heart i think he felt Really, that my mother had just kind of trapped him into that. Unbeknownst to me and him as well, until later in his life, he realized that his mother and his dad, very same scenario. My dad's mother was pregnant with him, but not by my grandfather, and not by who he thought was his dad. It was someone else. So there was kind of a pattern there that was, uh, you know, was kind of going on in our family. I assured my dad, no, it is my child. We wanted to do the right thing, talk to her mother. She gave me an opportunity to get out. I said, no, I want to do the right thing. I want to marry your daughter. I love her, I thought. So we got married. We quickly had three children by the age of 22. Uh, we were, uh, our, our family was growing very fast, very fast. Uh, we learned on the fly. Uh, unfortunately, our kids kind of got the brunt of our, our uh, poor parenting in the early beginning. I think by the time we had our third child, we actually kind of had a little bit of a handle on it. You know, I've heard jokingly that the first child, you know, you kind of boil everything. By the time it comes to the third child, you just wipe it off on your, your shirt and stick it in your mouth, you know, the pacifier and everything. That's kind of the way we were doing it. You know, we were very cautious and didn't know what we were doing in the beginning, but then we learned it as we went. But yet we were still growing up together. Uh, we were growing up with our kids, but we were growing up with each other. I mean, 16, 17, that's very young to get married. Uh, most friends didn't give us a chance. Most of our parents, uh, I don't think, really thought it was best. We had friends that even got married around that same time, and many of them are no longer together. Uh, but yet somehow, uh, well, I know how, uh, we are together today. Well, one of the, one of the biggest uh, reasons we are is uh, when I was 21, I was saved. Um, and then uh, several years later, 1984, five, five about later, five years later, mm -hmm. I accepted Christ as my yeah. personal Savior as well. Yeah, Christ is the only reason we're here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, marriage is difficult at best, even with Christ at the center of it. But without Christ, I, I often wonder how people even sustain a marriage. I mean, I, I think it's held together by their own efforts. But yet, even with Christ at the center of your marriage, unless he's made prominent, unless he's at the head of your marriage, it is still difficult. And that's where... That's where we, we fell by the wayside because once I surrendered my life to Christ, uh, I got busy. I got busy. I got busy doing things in church. I mean, I volunteered for every opportunity there was. I, uh, I, I was a teacher. I was a, I was a deacon in our church. I was a trustee. I, I was on finance committee. I mean, I was, a, I was a camp counselor doing everything I could that, that the church asked me to do. But busyness is a little bit different than growing in your faith. And I need to make that point very clear because you can do a lot of things for Christ, but if you're not really seeking him, and I wasn't, uh, and he wanted to grow me, uh, what I thought was growth really wasn't growth. It was just a, it was a surface growth. It was those things that uh, the people see and, and maybe are somewhat impressed with. And I really, I probably took pride in that and that I was one of the busier persons around, around church. And that was probably a, a mistake. I know it was. It was a downfall for sure. I, I referenced in the first service that it was, was kind of like two, uh, two trees that we used to have in our front yard. 
a fruitless mulberry and a mimosa tree. Both of those trees grow very fast. They're, uh, but they're junk trees. I mean, they're really, builders put them in the yard because they grow real fast and people want to have shade in their trees. But one of the trees developed a little bit of fungus around the base of the tree and I realized that there was a problem but I didn't quite know to what extent. So I kind of ignored it. So then we had a, a storm blow through and lo and behold, that tree fell over. It, it fell onto my neighbor's house, onto their vehicle and into their yard. And I had to pay to have it removed. And when I went out there and inspected it, I realized that the, the root system had basically been rotted away. I had, I had neglected it and let it rot. And this fungus had really taken a hold in it. And that really is, is kind of what my life was looking like. Because uh, on the surface, I gave all the appearance of growing and being healthy. But down below, I was rotting. I, I wasn't pursuing God. I thought busyness meant holiness. And I really hadn't had a hunger for God's Word, even though I had done some things that made people think that. Uh, in 1986, I went to work for General Dynamics. And uh, while I was there, I... Uh, I worked alongside many other illustrators. I'm a graphic artist, uh, my profession. And among those illustrators was a young lady who uh, was going through some difficult times. And she knew I was involved in church. As a matter of fact, I, I had a kind of a nickname up there as Choir Boy. So I just had this you know, squeaky clean image. And once again, appearances can be deceiving. Uh, I put on a very good front for folks. And she was having difficulty in a relationship and needed somebody to talk with and counsel with, so I agreed to talk with her. First mistake. Guys, let me tell you that if, if a woman seeks your counsel, I would encourage you to pass her off to a godly woman who can, in turn, uh, meet her needs. Because it is very dangerous for a man to speak to a member of the opposite sex privately and alone. What starts out very innocently slowly fades into something much, much more if you're not careful. And in my case, because I hadn't developed my relationship with the Lord, it quickly became something that I had never sought, never wanted, and even, even testified to the fact that it would never happen. I always thought that if there was any one area that the enemy could not come at me at, it was in my marriage. I was strong there. I believed that our marriage was without compromise. I might as well have drawn a big old target on my back and said, Satan, come and get me, because pride had set in. And all the other areas I was defending, I'd left this one area of my life undefended. So it didn't, it didn't surprise me, much like that big tree in my yard, that when the first big storm blew up in my life, and in this case, it was the attention of another woman who paid me compliments, gave me attention, that I was blown over. And before what I once thought was unthinkable, now was being entertained in my mind and something emotionally had drawn me to this woman and before I knew it I was involved in a full-blown adulterous relationship. I don't usually word affair. I think that sanitizes it too much to be honest with you. Uh, I, I think I call it what it is, adultery. And I walked headlong into it, eyes wide open. The amazing thing is, the week before I had been at a church camp with our youth, I had been voted church counselor of the week, been given a Bible. Look at me. One week later, 
and walking headlong into an adulterous relationship, preparing to destroy my family. On Labor Day of 1992, I asked Kay to go for a walk with me around the block while we were walking. I informed her that I had met someone and that it was pretty serious. I had feelings for her. And it wasn't long, I don't think it was that very same day, but it wasn't much long after that that I had declared to Kay that I don't love you anymore. And I'm not real sure I ever really did. Kay's response to that had to be from God because it certainly wouldn't have been from the flesh because any woman in her right mind would have responded in anger, would have told me to get out, and would have been justified in doing so in many people's minds. But Kay's response to me had to have been from the Lord, which was, I love you enough for both of us. Well, I, I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't understand that. I had no concept of what she, what she was telling me because I didn't, I didn't reciprocate that love. All I knew was uh, I had met someone and I wanted out. So I started the process of trying to ex, you know, take myself out of my family. Uh, it was a slow process, but yet it seemed probably at the time very fast for Kay. Yeah, and, and during that time, I mean, I knew, of course, that there was something wrong, and I it crossed my mind that, you know, it could be uh, an affair, but, you know, I, I felt like I always knew where he was, so even though I suspected and knew that we were drawing apart, um, it was still such a shock because I just, it was so against who he was, I thought, the man I knew. Um, so, um, knowing that, I, you know, feeling that something was going on, I was drawing closer to God. Thank goodness that I, I turned to Him and was involved in, in Bible study. And uh, one of them was Covenant, uh, and the other one was Marriage Without Regrets, both K. Arthur movie. Uh, I'm sorry, K. Arthur studies up at our uh, church, and uh, really got an understanding of uh, what Covenant really meant. Uh, to God, uh, and then had the opportunity to uh, um, uh, learn a lot of uh, things about marriage that I frankly didn't know about in a Christian marriage for sure, uh, that gave me the opportunity to really uh, uh, decide what I believed um, about marriage before this happened. I mean, it was like God was just, he was training me for this time. Those studies ended in May and then he shared this in September, so it was like, whoa, God was training me, and so immediately verses coming, you know, started coming to my mind, and I could just see the enemy was attacking us, and I had no idea what the outcome would be, but I did know that my decision was going to be to stand for the marriage, that I wasn't going to walk away from the covenant, which marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant with God, regardless of the fact that we weren't Christians, uh, we were at a, a judge's office, you know, justice of the peace, just with our moms, 
Um, here I was expecting that we invited God into that uh, ceremony, and so I felt like I had the obligation and the desire. I had the desire. God put that desire in me to honor that. Um, now, what He did, I had no control over. Although at first I tried to do that. I used to call KHS two my Holy Spirit the second because she would she did everything she could to convict me of my sin when sin was forefront in my mind. I mean, and, and you don't often think of that, but believers are fully aware of their sin. There is, there is a conviction that comes upon a person that even though you're deep involved in it, uh, you're still rebellious and you refuse to turn from that sin, but the Holy Spirit that dwells within us refuses to give us rest until we ultimately uh, give in and surrender. And well, and I was very naive. I I had this picture of if you're a Christian, you don't do that kind of thing. You know, it's like Christians don't do that. And it's so it was like I, that was the first question I asked him is, are you saved? Because it's like how how can you how, – I could not reconcile in my mind the two. Um, but uh, God gently <laughs> reminded me of every sin that I had committed and continued, uh, you know, while he was going through his process – God was working on me as well. It wasn't a one-sided offense uh, by any means toward God, and it was toward God uh, more than me or the girls. Um, but I uh, had to learn the hard way that I had idolized Ron and put him in God's, uh, on God's throne, and uh, that, that's pretty serious. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to build my wife up too much, but I will. I will certainly sing her praises of how she allowed God to, to use her to draw me back to our relationship because even once I recognized that this relationship I had with this other woman was not going to be something that would last and it became pretty clear early uh, I, I removed myself from that relationship even though I even though I wasn't with her I didn't feel like I had the, the right to re-enter to our marriage because I felt like I had done so much damage and there was so much shame and guilt associated with my actions that I felt like Kay deserved better. Kay obviously believed that I was uh, God's best for her. So she continued to pray that. And, but yet I, I couldn't see myself getting back into the marriage. Uh, I, just, I just didn't feel like I could do that. But yet I knew I couldn't continue this other relationship. So in a time when jobs are hard to come by, I, I quit General Dynamics in 1992. And God provided another job. Uh, with Raytheon Corporation, which is a competitor. Closer to home, more pay. You know, it, somehow in the midst of this, it seemed as though God was blessing blessing me when I was undeserving. And uh, don't get me wrong, he doesn't bless my, my sinful actions, but I think he was, he was taking care of us, and I think his ultimate plan came out here. So I took a job with this company, and the first thing they wanted to do was send me up to New York, well, uh, for a week to do some training. So I had made plans once I got back. I put a deposit down on an apartment, and once I got back, I was leaving. I told Kay, I said, I'm, I'm out. I'm through. So I went to New York. Uh, here I was a 1,000 miles away from Kay. I had gone all that way to get away from her, and she followed me in the form of a, a card that she had slipped into my bag. And I got that card, and I read it. And I can't remember exactly what it said, but I can tell you this, the gist of it. She reaffirmed her love for me, told me how much she was praying for me, how much she was committed to the marriage. And I had a week 
to read that because I didn't go to bars. I didn't go with the rest of the guys out clubbing or anything. So I spent that time in that hotel room reading this card. If I read it once, I must have read it a dozen times. And at one point I felt the Lord was telling me, what are you doing? What are you, what are you preparing to do? Why are you preparing to sacrifice your family and for what? And I didn't have a good answer. The only, the only answer I could give was, Lord, I, I just don't feel love for my wife. And I believe God told me that at that time, if you'll do what you know to be right, if you'll re-engage in this relationship, I'll restore the feelings that you think are gone. I'll give you a greater love for your wife than you've ever had before. And I'll show you what I truly wanted this marriage to look like in the beginning. So I committed myself, once I got back, to re-engage in the relationship, to seek out counseling, to do whatever it was going to be necessary. Even though my heart wasn't in it, I knew that God was calling me to do. We found a counselor, a godly counselor. And the man set the stage for me to be able to be open with him. We, the first counselor we went to, I'll be honest with you, I didn't give him a chance. And it, there's no knock on his qualifications or his ability as a counselor. I just think I was in the wrong place, the wrong attitude second guy, he started out the conversation like this. Ron, I don't care what you've done. I just want you to know I love you. And if you want help, I can provide that. And he sent me away and he said, I'd like you to think about that. And when you come back next week, I'd like your answer. Well, I told Kay when we left her, I said, I can work with this guy. I didn't feel any condemnation, no judgment. I felt that this guy truly not even knowing me, not knowing my sin, love me. I said, we can do this. We spent nine months uh, at this counselor. Uh, we, we related to childbirth. Pregnancy, length of pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, and at the end, we, we came out better people. Uh, when we went in, Kay thought that I was going to be the one that needed all the help. She realized that there were some things that she needed to deal with that... Uh, God had laid on her heart. Uh, it, it was a difficult time, but it, yet it was necessary time. During this time of recovery, God, God used many tools to bring us to the point of reconciliation. He used a, a church staff who came alongside us, loved us, uh, didn't try to excommunicate me from the church, but loved me instead. Uh, we had great friends who uh, prayed for us daily. I had, a, I had a Sunday school teacher. I remember he asked to meet with me. I met him up at a Grandy's. And this is the most unlikely guy. He and I have nothing in common. Uh, he taught a Sunday school class, but that was about the extent of our relationship. We'd had a few social gatherings with the class, but he's not the kind of guy I would go to a baseball game with or anything like that. But the most unlikely guy I think God would use to reach me. And many tried. Uh, many I listened to and went in one ear and out the other. But this guy... I agreed to meet with him out of respect for his position as my Sunday school teacher. We met at Grandy's, and uh, we sat down, and he again kind of disarmed me with his initial statement. He said, Ron, I want you to know something. I need to ask for your forgiveness. I said, Roger, I don't, I don't quite understand that. But He said, well, it's, it's simple. He said, I've been so angry with you that it has affected the way I pray for you. He said, and I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And immediately, those words just sank through to my heart that here's another guy, much like the counselor, 
in this case, knows me, knows my sin, but yet is extending love to me, the kind of love we're talking about today, which is unconditional love, the kind of love that God gave to us when he wanted to reconcile us to himself by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And here's this guy loving me, committing himself to me. The next time I saw that kind of love was when I saw it in my wife. You know, throughout this whole process, like she said initially, yes. She tried, to, she tried to read scripture to me. She tried to place books in my past. She tried to get friends to contact me. She did everything she could possibly do. But once she surrendered me over to the Lord and gave me into his capable hands, I started to change. What I saw in her was the quiet confidence of a woman who said, you know what? I want you back. But whether or not you're back, I'm going to be okay. Because God is my husband. Isaiah 54. He had to show it to me in black and white, and he did. Uh, Isaiah 54 talks about your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And it goes on and on, different promises of how he, he uh, provides. And, and he did and continues to. Um, and that allowed me... Uh, the freedom to allow Ron to be who God meant him to be and uh, me to be who I should be and uh, place God on the throne where he belonged instead of Ron. You know, this event happened at year 16 of our marriage. Uh, in March of this year, Kay and I celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary. Yeah, so uh, I'll be honest with you. We never thought, or I never thought, I think she did, she, she believed more than I did that year 17 would ever uh, happen. Uh, what I said to her, which she initially refused to believe, and I thought initially was a lie, which was, and I don't mean this callously or, or flippantly, that I didn't love her anymore, was in fact a truth because I didn't love her because I didn't know how to love her. The love God has given me for my wife today is a love that I can't explain. It is the, the kind of love we're talking about. It's the kind of unconditional love that I've only seen or experienced twice in my life, except for the counselor and, and, the, and the Sunday school teacher who I think even still dealt with the, some, some issues with me a little bit. But it's the kind of love that God has provided me, and it's the kind of love that I've seen exhibited in my wife who says, you know what? Flaws and all, I'm committed to you. I meant those vows, I meant those words, in good times and in bad, and this was certainly the bad, for rich or poor, sickness and in health, till death do we part. I'm appreciative of a wife who takes her vows seriously. I'm also sensitive to the fact that in a room this size, I know that many of you, if not all of you, have been affected by divorce in some way or another either personally or through extended family members, friends, divorce happens. My initial title for this message was, What's Love Got to Do With It? The answer, the short answer is, everything. You know, Matt, two weeks ago, made this statement in reflection. Uh, if we get that slide, next one. How I love others is a reflection of how I love God. That's true. That's absolutely true. 
God loves us too much to leave us in a flawed condition. His pursuit of me and of my heart was because he loved me. We believe two things about everything that happens in our life. That they have a twofold purpose. It is for God's glory. It is for our good. The good and the bad. If we could go back in time and undo any one thing in our marriage, it wouldn't be this event. And we talked about that. As painful as this has been in the past, we believe God used this very tragic time in our lives to get us to the point where we are today. Could he have done it without this event? Absolutely. But he knew me, and he knew what it was going to take to draw me closer to him, to get me a hunger for his word, to give me a desire to want to be the godly husband that he called me to be in the first place. Something that I totally didn't understand when I first entered into this relationship. I can attest to you today, I love my wife. There has never been a time that I've questioned that since I surrendered my life to Christ and since I made, a, made an admission of my sin and realized that the direction I was headed was the wrong direction. What would have been lost? I think about that. I've got a picture here I want to show you. It's kind of a goofy picture. That is my family. Goofy family. Yeah, that is my family. That is in the middle. Of, the only one not making a, a face in that is my dad. He's in the middle. Uh, Poor Papa. Yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad was the only person not to make a, a goofy face there. But that's at my oldest daughter's wedding. What I would have lost, and I perhaps would have lost, um, maybe, is the opportunity to see three of my daughters, all three of my daughters, graduate high school because they were still uh, either in elementary or, or junior, junior, high, junior high school. I would have missed perhaps them graduating college. Seeing them all go on to get married. Seeing them have children. We have grandbabies number seven and eight due this year. We're excited about that. There, there would have been a lot of events, games, uh, just different things that I, I think I perhaps would have been missed. Not that I wouldn't have been invited, but it would have been very uncomfortable to go to. I often thought, who would be taking my place? Kay assures me no one. Uh, but, you know, there's a possibility of that. But I think about the things that I would have lost had I gotten my way and had I continued to go headlong into the direction I was headed. I do believe, though, that when our will conflicts with God's, someone's has to change, and his is not. It means that we have to alter our plans and surrender our wills to his. And ultimately, he is glorified through this. You were going to say? Well, I was just going to say, in, in regard to the illustration and the tree falling over, um, you know, when it fell over, it damaged everything around it. And, you know, that's... We, when we sin, we, we kind of compartmentalize and think it's, it's not hurting anybody. It's just me that's it being affected, and um, it is a ripple effect. And um, I use the term collateral damage, and I hate to, but then it's so appropriate at the same time that there's 
so much collateral damage that happens when we stand, regardless if it's um, adultery or, you know, any time we stand, it, it, we don't live in a bubble. It affects everybody. But the awesome lesson that I have learned in, uh, and continuing to learn is that God has collateral healing that uh, can take care of every thing that we've done, he is the redeemer. He redeems the time. He has shown us time and time again. I cannot tell you the the life we have now. Um, I am so grateful we went through what we did. I am a better person because my husband had an affair. And it, you know, I do not say that lightly. I am a better person because of what happened to us. And that is because it drew me closer to the Lord and taught me what I needed to know because we we kind of tend to put sin in degrees, and God doesn't do that. I was just as big a sinner as he was, and and uh, all I needed to do was uh, submit myself to him and allow him to uh, grow me and, and teach me what I needed to learn during that time, or I don't know that we would be sitting here. Let me tie a bow on this, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. One of the great things that God did in the midst of this was that uh, while I was working at Raytheon, I had a call from... Uh, at that time, Lockheed, because General Dynamics had been bought bought out, and uh, they asked if I would be interested in coming back to work there. I said, possibly. Let me uh, let me make a phone call. So I called a, a friend who was still in the illustrations group, and I said, uh, so-and-so still working there? Yes. I said, okay. Called this boss back, and I said, no, uh, don't think this would be a good time for me to come back to work there. Maybe two, three months later, get another call from this boss, encouraging me once again, would I be interested in coming back to work there? Once again, I said, let me get back with you. Placed a call, found out, in fact, that this lady no longer worked there. She had, she had been let go and actually was getting married and moving out of state. I sat down and talked with Kay, and I said, you know, I won't go back there if you don't want me to but I just believe perhaps God is restoring what was taken from us. And once we both agreed, I, I went back to work there, and I've been there ever since. Uh, can that happen again? Absolutely it could happen again. There are no guarantees in life. I have some safe, safeguards in my life now that would prevent that. I have some accountability that I didn't have prior I have foreknowledge of, of what damage I can cause to my marriage now, and uh, it is so delicate and so so sensitive to me that I don't want to go there again. I just want you to know as we close this time that if you're struggling, you're not alone. This church stands ready to stand by you. The pastor, his entire staff, many members in this in this congregation will would welcome the opportunity to come alongside you and love you through the difficult times. No one needn't go through the difficult marriage by themselves. We can't guarantee the outcome of anything. Obviously, people make choices. One of the things that I didn't mention in this uh, photo is that two of my daughters were divorced. Divorce happens. I would have liked to have thought that we set an example for them and that they would have followed it and realized that when difficult times come, that you work through it. The fact is, divorce happens. That's why God hates it, but yet he loves divorced people. 
So whether you're in your first marriage, your second marriage, third marriage, I don't care. God is calling you to invest in the marriage you're in. And do it with your whole heart because where your investment is is where your heart is. And if we can be of any service to you, any assistance to you, we'd love the opportunity to do that. Kay and I often talk with couples, and we're not professionals, but yet we can give you the benefit of some of the lessons learned. I know Pastor Matt and, and his entire staff would love the chance to maybe talk with you as well. So you're not alone. Please don't leave here if you have a burden and take it with you without at least having somebody pray for you. We've got a room right over here at the end of this time. If you'd like to pray, we'd love a chance to do that. Let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. And just I'll have Ryan come up and make a couple of announcements. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity just to testify to your great love. Lord, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, I know we didn't get there, but yet uh, it is Paul's letter to the Corinthians that talks about some of the attributes of love. Lord, we know that uh, his letter was spoken directly to those folks who were squabbling and having bickering over the various gifts and how what was the best gift, what was the worst gift, but yet his reminder to them was it doesn't matter. You know, without love, they're all in vain. Lord, help us to realize that uh, if love isn't at the center of what we do, what we're about, we can be busy, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. Lord, thank you for your great love, for your redeeming power. And I pray that if there's, uh, if there's anything that comes from this testimony today, it would be that you are a great and mighty God, that you major in the impossibles, and what may seem hopeless to many is not impossible with you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done, what continue to do in our lives and in the lives of your people. And we ask this in your son's strong and powerful name and for his sake. Amen.